0: Welcome to Market Matters, our markets podcast on making sense, the hub for JP Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In each episode of Market Matters, we discuss the latest news and trends shaping markets today.
1: Hi, I'm Edwina Lowe, product specialist within the Data Assets and Alpha Group here at JP Morgan. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Eloise Goulder, Global Team Head of the Data Assets and Alpha Group, and Jigga Vakaria, who specializes in flows and positioning across different investor types and sits within our positioning intelligence team. So thank you both very much for joining me here today. Hi, Edwina. Thanks
2: so much for having us. Great to be here, Edwina.
1: So Eloise, I've heard you say a number of times that 2023 was a year of surprises. So I thought that this would be a great opportunity to flesh out what those surprises were and what this might mean for 2024. So could you walk through, let's say, the top three surprises you'd note for last year?
3: Thank you so much, Edwina. Well, I love that question. And last year really did seem to be a year of surprises versus expectations, didn't it? And in general, of course, positive surprises versus quite muted or quite negative expectations going into the start of 2023, which overall, I would argue, led to that gradual market strength through the course of the year, with the S&P 500, for example, ending the year up over 20%. So, Edwina, you asked me to pick three key surprises. So I would start with growth and say that macro growth and also earnings growth consistently surprised to the upside last year. So that would be surprise number one. Surprise number two would be inflation. Apologies for sounding so obvious, but inflation really consistently fell last year. And that was a surprise versus investor expectations. And then my third surprise would be AI the dominance and the significance of AI for global corporates. So those would be my top three surprises.
1: Brilliant, thank you. So if we could first turn to growth.
3: So we went into last year expecting a recession. It's hard to remember that now, but there were so many concerns around rates being higher for longer and concerns around what this would mean for the economy and consensus across sell-side economists was really for no growth in both the US markets and the euro area. So specifically, consensus was expecting just 30 bips of real GDP growth for the US through the course of 2023 and 10 bips of GDP decline for the euro area. So stagnant growth at best. And yet growth just continued to surprise to the upside. Almost every month last year, particularly within the US, we saw consensus GDP forecast rise from flattish all the way up to 2.4% for the full year in the end. We did see upgrades in other regions too, although it was less so than in the US. So, for example, in Europe, consensus went from expecting just slightly negative growth to half a percent of growth in the end for 2023. So to sum up, growth consistently surprised to the upside last year.
1: What do you think drove those growth surprises that we saw?
3: Yeah, it's such a good question. So generally speaking, we saw those upside surprises to growth coming from the consumer and most notably across the US where consumption really held up and really surprised to the upside. And in fact, if you speak to our colleague, Andrew Tyler, who runs market intelligence in the US, he would tell you that this has all been about the strength of consumer balance sheets and that the US consumer had more disposable cash going into 2023 than actually any time on record as measured by cash in checkings accounts on a nominal basis. That was boosted by stock investments having performed well through the post-COVID period as stock markets rallied. And as such, if you include the benefit of those capital gains, then COVID was actually the first US recession in history that
1: saw household net worth increase And it wasn't just the balances, was it? But it was the propensity for the consumer to spend. Is that right? Yeah,
3: it's a great point. So in addition to having those surprisingly high cash balances, the US consumer also seemed to have this desire to spend. There was this pent up demand to spend on services in particular, post that COVID period. And of course, these consumption surprises fed into macro growth surprises, and then those macro growth surprises fed into corporate earnings surprises. And so all of this ended up being
1: reflected in a healthy bottom-up corporate sector in the US. And so when we turn to 2024, what does all this mean in terms of expectations from here?
3: Yes. So the risk is that the pendulum of investor sentiment around growth has now fully swung from super bearish at the start of last year to super bullish by the end of last year. And that now potentially there's downside risk to growth from here. So that would be the risk based on sentiment. But actually, if you look at the numbers, I wouldn't argue that the street is that optimistic or over-optimistic for global growth for this year. I mean, for the US economy, for example, which delivered almost 2.5% of real GDP growth last year, the street consensus is now expecting a deceleration down to 1.3% GDP growth for this year. And when it comes to consumption... While we do believe that the US consumer has ultimately been eating into excess savings, so there's been some dissipation in the strength of the US consumer balance sheets, Even now, based on the Fed's Z1 data and based on banks' earnings releases, we do see that the consumer cash is still around a third higher relative to pre-COVID levels. So still pretty high. And that still, you could argue, bodes pretty
1: well for the US consumer. Thank you. So could we turn to your second great surprise of 2023?
3: Yes, absolutely. So second of all, I would flag inflation While growth was surprising to the upside last year, inflation was surprising to the downside last year. Inflation fell pretty consistently through at least the first half of 2023. So in the US, headline CPI, for example, it fell almost every month from June 2022, when it was around 9%, through to June 2023, when it came all the way down to 3.5%. I mean, it's hard to remember how concerned we were around inflation going into 2020. 2023 when US headline inflation was still above 6% and European inflation was even higher than that. And yet, pretty consistently, US headline inflation was falling, as I mentioned, and also Eurozone headline inflation fell actually almost every month from October 2022 over 10% to November 2023 around 3%. And so what were the implications of those declines? So, of course, those declines in inflation meant that the higher for longer narrative around rates could finally dissipate. And the implications of those higher for longer rates on growth would be less negative and less concerning. So, while US two year and 10 year bond yields did actually increase overall through the first 10 months of last year, they finally started to aggressively fall in the latter months of 2023. And perhaps more importantly, in terms of market expectations for the Fed, by the end of last year, the market was pricing in nearly six rate cuts in 2024. And the market is still there, really. It's pricing in a good chance of a rate cut this March. And all of this did really come as a surprise. I think many of us, me included, back in early 2023, felt inflation was bound to get somewhat entrenched into expectations, so that even if energy prices and commodity prices fell from their highs, an element of core inflation
1: would get baked in via expectations. So why do you think inflation did fall so much, despite the nervousness around sticky inflation that we'd seen?
3: Well, first of all, commodity prices really did fall quite considerably from the geopolitically induced highs that we saw in 2022. And so that definitely helped if you look at the breakdown of the declines in inflation. Similarly, there was this easing in supply chain bottlenecks. Those were so rife through 2022, which obviously elevated prices. But they eased through the course of 2023, and that helped. And equally, food price inflation gradually fell through 2023. So various components fell, and that fed through to declines in CPI, and that was all very reassuring. But then, on top of all of that, and there's various schools of thought on this, but I would argue that rates to some extent did their job in terms of dampening some forms of demand and dampening some sources of incremental inflation. Ultimately, we saw the Fed funds rate go up from near zero. I mean, the upper bound was 25 bps back in March 2022, all the way up to five and a half percent by the middle of last year. That's a pretty big move. So, to some extent, there should be no surprise that this had some dampening
1: effect on prices and expectations of future inflation. That all makes sense. Thank you very much for that overview, Eloise. And what does this mean for the present and for 2024 from an inflation perspective? Yeah,
3: it's a great question. And actually, I would argue that inflation has been one of the toughest themes for the equity bulls, for this year, just in the first couple of weeks of this year, we've seen various signs that inflation is beginning to heat up again, or at least not fall per the trend last year. So European inflation, for example, having fallen almost every month straight since October 2022, has finally started to pick up. This was released in the first week of January. So just two weeks ago, and then turning to the US, headline inflation, as released again last week, showed signs of stabilisation around the 3 to 4% mark. This is obviously still way above target. Got it. So what's leading to these increases? So funnily enough, we've seen various supply chain bottlenecks picking up again recently. Remember, this was very much a theme of 2022 when inflation started to surprise to the upside. But again, we've seen examples of that recently. For example, shipping routes have significantly lengthened, given disruptions across both the Suez and the Panama canals. Shipping routes have gone up, shipping costs have therefore gone up, and this has led to an inflation in goods prices to some extent. So that's one fact. I think there's also a base effect factor. You know, inflation had fallen so much from highs to these 3% to 4% marks. We're getting to a stage now where it is proving to be a little bit sticky. So when I think about the market sell-off in the first week of January and actually muted equity performance so far this year, I would argue that inflation concerns were probably top of the concerns list on the fundamental front. We also believe positioning across US and European markets was high going into this year, and that hasn't helped. But Jigger can talk more about that in due course.
1: Brilliant. So you've talked through two pretty sizable surprises so far. What would make your top three surprise of 2023?
3: So finally, when I look back at 2023 and think about surprises, I would flag... AI. It was obviously such a hot topic throughout last year. And actually, my view is that it will remain a hot topic in the coming years. But again, think back to the start of 2023. And there was nowhere near as much noise associated
1: with AI as there is today. I totally agree. I can't believe how much it dominated our client conversations last year. So what would you say were the key catalysts we saw?
3: So, of course, ChatGPT was launched back in November 2022, and I would argue that was a significant catalyst in that it brought tech into the eyes and the hands of everyone. So no matter how tech savvy you are, you can see and feel the power of large language models through ChatGPT. And of course, ChatGPT had successive iterations through the course of last year. But then we also saw other tech companies discussing how they were leveraging similar technologies in creating their own large language models, in creating the chips needed to power that AI in providing the cloud software to store and compute this technology. There were so many ripple effects that were gradually discussed in the marketplace and gradually gathering pace through the course of 2023. And in fact, by Q3 of last year, we started to hear from the non-tech companies as well, who were talking about leveraging AI to cut costs and ultimately improve margins. So Huge amounts of implications for single stock corporates. And on top of this, AI really stimulated a debate as to whether this revolution, so to speak, could really turbocharge growth potential and productivity gains and, of course, company efficiencies. And not only could this be a positive for macro growth, But it could also potentially be quite disinflationary, speaking about our surprise number two, which, of course, could help solve the inflation problem, which had really dominated discussions back in 2022. That's obviously the rosy picture, but very much a narrative that came through last
1: year. So how do you know that it was the AI theme behind all of this? How did it manifest itself?
3: Yeah, well, quite simply, if you look at the stock price performance of what we believe to be AI beneficiaries, they very clearly outperformed last year. So in a way, that's the best evidence that AI really was driving market strength last year. I mean, if you look at the Magnificent Seven, these seven large US corporates, which really dominate in AI, their share prices roughly doubled through the course of last year. The Nasdaq 100, equally, it gained more than 50% last year. And by contrast, If you look at the S&P 500 in equal weight, it was only up 12% last year. So to me, that's a pretty clear evidence that AI was a big, powerful driver behind equity performance last year.
1: And I suppose, arguably, you can't have a top-down view on markets without having a bottoms-up view on those companies. So what's your own view, Eloise, on the outlook for 2024?
3: Yes, it's a great point. And that magnificent seven represents almost thirty percent of the s and p five hundred. So I completely agree that you can't have a top-down view on markets without having a view on these companies and on this theme as a whole. And it's a really interesting one. I mean, philosophically, I'm quite bullish on AI in terms of its ability to transform industries. But I do think it's a question of timing. and, Given the extent to which these companies rallied last year, you could argue that there's a lot for these companies to prove at this stage. I mean, if 2023 was the year of optimism around AI, then 2024 really needs to be the year of delivery for many of these companies. And earnings season is kicking off now, and it will be really important to see earnings delivery through Q4 and also the outlet statements from these tech and these AI beneficiary type names. But On the more positive note, it is worth remembering that tech as a sector, yes, it performed very well through 2023, but actually it performed very poorly through 2022, the year before last. These companies were seen as disproportionately sensitive to that initial rise in inflation expectations and rise in bond yields. They were seen as duration assets, which sold off. And as a result, if you look on a two-year view, in many cases, these names are only just teetering above all-time highs. They're not way above all-time highs. So I would argue on the bullish side that if these companies really can deliver further growth and supportive outlooks from here, I do think this theme can run further.
1: Brilliant. So three very positive surprises that we saw last year, all begging important questions for the coming weeks and months. It sounds to me that sentiment going into the end of last year was very positive. And is it therefore fair to say that this could lead to some weakness, at least in the shorter term?
3: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I would completely agree if we pick out these three major market themes and positive surprises through the course of last year. It is certainly true that sentiment went from very bleak at the start of 2023 to pretty rosy by the end of 2023. When you put all this together, it very much sounds like a Goldilocks type scenario. And I do think that is the risk that Goldilocks has become the base case. So that is certainly something we need to think about and be mindful of as we enter 2024. And of course, linked to sentiment is positioning. And I would argue that positioning swung in a very similar manner from pretty light at the start of last year to pretty heavy by the end of last
1: year. Jigger, of course, is the expert on this and he can talk more to that. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Eloise. That was really interesting. And could we turn to Jigger now? Jigger, thank you so much again for being here today. Could you talk through how positioning evolved through the course of 2023?
2: Sure. Thanks, Edwina. To start with the prime brokerage data that we primarily track, we saw hedge fund investors like others started 2023 very light, that is, with a lot of caution. But then we saw hedge funds continue to add risk for most part of the year, adding both longs and shorts. This was accompanied with various episodes of degrossing, or call it short covering. First one was in late Jan early fab. Second one we saw is in June, July. And the final one in the year was in November, December, which was the biggest short covering of the year or even since March, 2020. And about 10% of the US short book was covered. In the end, it seems that hedge fund help fueled the rally in equity markets after around 10% correction from August to October period. Typically, after such a big squeeze, we often see a bit of weakness in equity markets to the tune of perhaps one-month maximum drawdown of 5%, though notably three-month returns are typically flat to positive after that. Looking at other investor types, as we progressed throughout the year and things started to clear up, investor added risk. Trend following CTAs and mutual funds showed steady buying of equities throughout the year. Equity ETF net inflows ramp up starting in May and continued to the end of last year. In contrast to others, US retail investors were net sellers of single stocks in first half of 2023, but they too finally started to buy in Q4.
1: Thank you, Jigger. That's such an interesting point you make that after such a big hedge fund short squeeze, we typically see market weakness over the next month or so, which really resonates with the argument that we were making earlier about the Goldilocks sentiment really being the base case, and therefore there's more downside risk in the very near term. Is that fair to say?
2: Yes, Edwina, that's a fair point, I think. this resonates well with John schlegel's and Andrew Tyler's view they put out last week in their podcast, where their medium-term view was very positive and their near-term view was cautious on the markets.
1: Thank you. So where do we stand today in terms of overall positioning across regions post the sharp Q4 rally? And could you talk through how this is playing out in our tactical positioning monitor?
2: Sure. Uh, Looking at our U.S. tactical positioning monitor, we saw positioning steadily ticking higher along the markets throughout 2023. And by the time it got to the end of the year, we saw positioning angles started to look a bit overstretched or less supportive from here. TPM positioning level hit plus one standard deviation in late December, which would have put it at 90th percentile since 2015 or even 95th percentile for data since 2006. What's driving the TPM higher? its US asset managers' futures positioning, CTA's positioning, retail sentiment, as proxied by AAII bull bear indicator, whereas call-put ratio and hedge fund net leverage seems more neutral to moderately bullish as of now. Looking outside of the US, we saw positioning increases in Europe in first half, driven by UK and EMIA ex-UK, but second half was more or less flat, helped by recovery in Q4, ending the year above average from long-term positioning perspective. On the other hand, Asia shows a very different story, we saw continuous selling for second year in a row, and positioning falling to the lowest in multiple years, mainly driven by weakness in China. Asia long-short ratio for the hedge funds in our book was below 40th percentile recently versus 10th percentile for China. And CTA's positioning on HSI index 2 stands below 10th percentile from a longer term, that is 20-year perspective.
1: Thank you, Jigar. So picking up on those broader themes, could we talk about sectors and themes that you're looking out for at this point in time? And what could be the pain trades for investors?
2: Sure, Edwina. When I think about pain trades, broadly speaking, a move lower in the US equities or move higher in Chinese stocks, could be a pain trade for investors at this time. Though some hedge fund strategies could likely do well if markets pulled back modestly, given this could drive a more positive alpha environment. From a sector standpoint, we see high positioning in areas like EU retail, travel and leisure, and periphery banks. We also see high positioning in US industrials. SEMI's positioning is also elevated in these regions, So declines in these areas could be pain trades. On the other hand, we see pretty bearish positioning in energy, both in the U.S. and Europe. So a rally in oil and energy stocks could be painful as well. In addition, there could be pain trades if other sectors like European insurance as well as U.S. utilities or staples were to rally given light positioning. There are some other themes in focus that are also worth mentioning briefly. There has been renewed chatter around EU luxury goods sector, stocks falling further on recent profit warnings within the sector. We saw positioning dropping to about average from the peaks in less than 4 months as steady selling continues. Disruption news around Red Sea that Alois discussed earlier brought global shipping names in focus. We saw three standard deviation buying over the last 20 days in global shipping stocks in line with sharp outperformance, shorts covered and longs added positioning two rose to 18 months high after lacklustre few months for the sector, but is below the longer term average. And in Asia, China tech is another sector back in focus as it got oversold. And if global bond yields continue to decline from here, this would benefit.
1: These are great insights, Jagger. Thank you. And a natural segue into our views for 2024. John Schlegel and Andrew Tyler in our team covered their near and medium term views in our podcast that we released last week. Could you summarise those views?
2: Yes, sure. Our view is slightly cautious as we think there could be choppiness in near term, given how extended the December rally was. Just to mention the few key reasons here. One, we saw the net flows turn a lot more positive amongst hedge funds, which was something that was missing in prior to December. Two, amongst other investor type such as retail investor and ETF flows, those two turned very positive in the later part of the year. Three, positioning level in our tactical positioning indicator hit 95th percentile. And four, the point I previously made on short covering, that got overextended. All of those things are reason why, as we think about it in the very near term from a tactical perspective. It's not terribly surprising to see a little bit of choppiness and weakness. Looking at the slightly longer term view, that is three to six months, there is room for positioning and flows to remain positive. Hedge fund net leverage could increase further. Retail investors and ETF flows could remain positive as longer term metrics. For example, 12 month rolling flows are pretty neutral and cash level could fall further. Whether it's mutual fund cash levels or money market assets that are on the sidelines, there's still quite a bit that could move more bullishly or come off the sidelines into markets. So I think there's multiple reasons to still maintain a positive view over the medium term.
1: Brilliant. Thank you, Jigger. That was a really comprehensive overview of both our tactical and medium term views from a positioning perspective. So Eloise, if I could come back to you now, we are a data-driven team. So what are the key data points we'll be tracking to monitor where markets go to from here?
3: Yes, sure, Edwina. Well, I think it's a great point because we're both a data-driven team and a tactical team. So, of course, if the data changes, our views on the outlook for markets and sectors may, of course, change. So first of all, if we go full circle back to the three big Market surprises that we saw last year growth, inflation, and AI. There are data points that we need to monitor on all three of those. I would argue. For growth, results season will be critical. Are US corporates holding up as we believe they should do based on macro data through Q4? And what are these corporates saying about the outlooks for growth for this year? I think that will be key. If we come to inflation, well, is inflation stabilising and or falling at these levels? Big question marks over that, given the slightly more hawkish data points we've seen over the last week or two. And importantly, what does this mean for the Fed? As we've said, the markets are pricing in six whole rate cuts, 1.5 percentage points of rate cuts from the Fed starting as early as March this year. Does that really come through given where inflation is at this stage? And it's not just rates cutting, but we're also going through a phase of quantitative tightening. What does this mean for markets? And then the third big surprise, AI and the impact of AI on corporates. Is 2024 really going to be a year of delivery? And what does that look like? It's obviously heavily priced into stocks at this stage. There's quite a lot of concentration in markets skewed towards this theme. Any disappointments could be disproportionately felt across markets. And then away from those three major themes that we've discussed today, I would talk about elections. We can't discuss 2024 and not mention elections. This year, elections take place in 77 countries. Wow. Yeah, it's incredible, including Russia in March, India in April, the EU Parliament in June, Mexico in June, the UK towards the end of this year, and then probably the most important for markets, the US in November. And in terms of themes, at some stage, the market will really begin to differentiate between themes for each candidate. So when we think about the US elections, for example, there's going to be the green economy theme and the green infrastructure theme and electric vehicles on the one hand versus the old economy on the other. There's going to be debate around defence spending, healthcare spending, corporate taxation. So these are themes that we will absolutely be talking about, tracking, monitoring from a positioning and a sentiment perspective, and will all be critical data points to your question, Edwina,
1: that we need to track through the course of this year. Absolutely. Well, it looks like it's going to be another interesting year ahead. I think this is a good moment to wrap up our conversation. We've covered a lot of ground today. So thank you very much to both of you for joining me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Edwina.
2: Great to be here, Edwina. Thanks.
1: Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for tuning into this bi-weekly podcast series from our group. If you have any feedback or if you'd like to get in touch, please go to our website, jpmorgan.com forward slash market dash data dash intelligence, where you can send us a message via the contact us form. And with that, we will close. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Market Matters. If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate, and subscribe to J.P. Morgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates, Together J.P. Morgan, They are not the product of J.P. Morgan's research department and do not constitute a recommendation, advice, or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. This podcast is intended for institutional and professional investors only and is not intended for retail investor use. It is provided for information purposes only. Referenced products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. J.P. Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures forward slash sales and trading disclaimer. For the avoidance of doubt, opinions expressed by any external speakers are the personal views of those speakers and do not represent the views of J.P. Morgan.